welcome to Don't You Want Me, a podcast series taking a light-hearted look at the most relatable, intriguing and dysfunctional relationships in film. I'm Rich. I'm Kat. If we're meeting for the first time today on a train, would you find me attractive? Of course. No, but really, right now, as I am, would you start talking to me? Would you ask me to get off the train with you? <laughs> well, I mean, you're asking a theoretical question. I mean, what would my life situation be? I mean, technically, wouldn't I be cheating on you? Okay, why can't you just say no, yes? No, no, I did. I no, said, no, no. of course. I wanted was... you to say something romantic and you blew uh, uh, okay. it, okay? In this episode, we're avoiding a couple's massage with 2013's Before Midnight, starring Julie Delpy and Ethan Hawke, and directed by Richard Linklater. With a script written by the director with the film's two lead actors, this movie completes the critically acclaimed Before trilogy. Are Jesse and Celine just like any other married couple after all? Or do they stand as a time-travelling Romeo and Juliet? If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving us a rating or a review on your podcast app of choice. We'll pop some Greek salad in the post. <laughs> well, this is the third in our in our own trilogy of podcasts looking at this series of films. And I guess now we've come back to Jesse and Celine uh, nine years after the events of Before Sunset. And uh, yeah, I, I guess he, he did miss his plane. He did indeed. Mm. He did indeed. And I think this film, uh, well, it kind of deals with the consequences of that, doesn't it? Of which there are many. <laughs> well, I guess, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we talked about this off air. We'll talk about this one a little bit more chronologically yeah. than, than our normal episodes. Because I guess with this one, we knew in the previous film that Jesse had a then four-year-old son. Uh, and and was married and at this time they are in Greece and he is dropping his son at the airport and his son's now 13 and they've been on a family holiday in, in Greece and he's sending his son back to the US and this is the son that he I'll put this delicately um, this is the son that he talked about in the previous movie and now yes. uh, sending him back to his mother in Chicago and yeah. he's now in Greece with his new family. And uh, as we noticed after he dropped the son at the airport, um, I remember in the f- second film when um, Celine made some joke about, oh no, I left the kids in the car. And she's now standing outside the car with their twin daughters asleep <sighs> on the back seat. Very good link to the last one. I'd never mm. thought about that before. That's such a good point. Yeah, so uh, they are now a, a married couple with a... Toyota, a Toyota, a Honda sort of SUV, and kids asleep in the back. It's like uh, the circle is now complete. He missed his plane, and this is where his life has gone. I mean, as someone watching these films for the first time, uh, the first five minutes of this film, how did how did you feel? Did it take you by surprise? Or were you thinking, oh, yeah, this is kind of what I was expecting, um, this opening? I, not really, because I think... Well, I would say it, it was a surprise, because I think when the film opens and he's with his son, it's only during their conversation as he's waiting to go through security at you know, Greece Airport that it becomes apparent, you know, that he's that he's, they're travelling separately, that, that um, Jesse's not going back with him. And... Um, you know, just talk about, oh, I'll come over for your recital and your soccer practice and all this kind of stuff, you know, quite sort of stereotypical US film stuff. And um, it's just fun to see how they've used time to see how yeah. the kid is now a teenager and all the 
perils of being a teenage boy and the fact that he spent time with his dad and, and his new family, which I guess was an interesting point when you look again without jumping too much around the film that that's the kid that's the son's only scene he's not involved then there's no real other than a phone call uh conversations with his step half sisters or his stepmother yeah yeah um so that's kind of him then out of the way on a plane and then he phones he phones later on but um i think the way they've engineered that it kind of shows then that right he's made the choice this is a son that he doesn't have a i mean they clearly have a reasonably healthy relationship despite all the issues but then over the course of the movie you see some of the heartache and pain that's that's come along with that and and the consequence of the choice that he made at the end of before two completely completely and um i think there's something quite powerful about opening the film with the sun being there because I think that when you're watching before sunset, even though you're told by both of them about, you know, the partners that they might have in the background and in Jess's case, a uh, kid, um, it's really just the two of them that you kind of um, engage with during the course of the film, or at least, you know, to, to any sort of significant degree. Um, and there's something about this one where you sort of realise, don't you, that it's very it's very different just hearing about someone having a family and actually then, as a viewer, even briefly kind of getting to know the family because suddenly when you see the kid in front of you, you think, oh yeah, this is a this is a real this is a real young person that was affected by the decision that was made at the end of the last film, and suddenly I think you kind of feel as an audience a bit kind of complicit because. All of you, at the end of that last one with the Nina Simone song playing and Celine dancing, you, you as an audience, as we talked about in the last one, are really rooting for them to get together and you're kind of rooting for Jesse and you sort of want him to miss that plane and all of that. And then I think that the way you have the son with him at the beginning of this movie, it sort of wrong foots you, doesn't it, a little bit, and maybe makes you feel a little bit guilty as an audience member. You were kind of like thinking, yeah, miss the plane, Jesse. And then you kind of think, oh yeah, I was sort of rooting for him to potentially sort of, you know, do something that might, that might affect this kid's life in quite a significant way. And I don't know yet as the audience member whether or not that was the right thing to do. Yeah, I think when... That's kind of the thing about especially the first two movies where it's almost entirely Jesse and Celine. And there's, I think, it's hardly any other sort of listed cast members in the movies. Whereas in this one, certainly there are more people with speaking parts and have a more active involvement, especially around the, the scene where they, get, where they have dinner. But Definitely, yeah. Um, but I think because this child is now there, he's not just a kind of a thing in the background and a... I'd say it sounds awful to call a child a plot device. But, um, you know, now that this is a person and this is someone you see and that then you see the relationship between the son and Jesse. And I think then because his son going back to America is kind of what drives Jesse's, to say mood is perhaps lightening it, but Jesse's demeanour, his thought process throughout the whole movie is because he's had to say goodbye to his son for the however many many time um, yes however many times he sent him back from because now that they live in paris but are on this holiday in greece so i suppose 
they had to set the other film somewhere in Europe and Greece may have been available. You can't well, have it's a pretty beautiful place it to was, go. It was lovely. Yeah. I think the, <laughs> the Greek tourist board did well again. It's really better than Mamma Mia. But it's, um, I think when you look at that and then when you see him get back in the car with Celine and, and, and their kids, he spends most of the time then pining for his son. And it's kind of like what's happened over that nine years and becomes apparent throughout the movie. But then the the relationship between him and Celine, now that they've been together for that period of time and they've had kids, they're not married, but there's definitely, there's flashes of it, but they're now a couple who've been together and have kids. Whereas when you saw them last in Paris, you know, she was all playing the song and dancing and he was sitting there a bit more carefree. And then they're, they're now in their early 40s and life has hit them hard. One detail that Celine gives during the dinner that everyone has together is that she says, I think she says that the first time they had sex without a condom, she got pregnant and she got pregnant with twins. So, you know, you don't know exactly what the time frame is, but when you think about the fact that it's only meant to be nine years after, after Before Sunset... You think what might have contributed maybe to the tension between the two the two women in Jesse's life is that um, maybe the thing of Jesse having a family with Celine might have, you know, might have kind of come as maybe a bit of a bombshell to his ex-wife. Maybe, maybe it all happened quite quickly. Yeah, I'm sure. Someone, suddenly, yeah, rather, I'm yeah. sure someone's done a timeline of these kind of things. I'm sure. Like, did they say their kids are seven? That sounds about right, yeah. And someone's probably done the maths from there. But um yeah. and again like Hank Hank is now thirteen. Yeah. So there really isn't much of a gap. Yeah. It's definitely something that is a, an issue again, like uh, it's probably quite a common thing amongst, you know, couples where there's an ex partner in and or a child from a previous marriage or relationship in there. How do you balance that? How do you juggle that? And and with everyone trying to be as positive as they can, you know, there's always going to be issues somewhere because this person, you know, and even when Celine speaks about him as a lovely boy and talks about him being part of the family, he's not her son. Yes. Um, yeah. And he's the son that Jesse. I don't know how we didn't see exactly how that relationship broke, but he's the son that was from his previous relationship. So it's a yeah. very delicate minefield. There's another thread that starts when they're sat in the car uh, with their kids asleep in the back where she says to Jesse, you know, I'm not, I'm not complaining. I'm getting a lot of attention, but you can't stop ogling girls. <laughs> and then I think maybe there's another bit of the movie where you do see him sort of like, you know, looking at the young girl that's staying at the villa and um and then obviously later on something comes up about his uh maybe a little bit of a fling he's had and stuff i mean do you think that that um do you think that re- sort of reflects something kind of quite real about the kind of thing that men and women might argue a bit about when they're in a long-term relationship I, I possibly i think you know whether it's um it's a long-term relationship or or not, I think it depends, you know, in, in the ter- in the context that we don't know how much, you know, Celine 
might again she seems quite okay with a lot of the ways that Jesse is but the fact that they got together when he was with someone else you don't know if that puts her under a certain cloud or pressure yeah yeah that's a good point and in the way that if he did have a fling with someone if he did gawp at the young girl at the villa you know she's just kind of thinking oh god here we go again or or something like that and yes it's like judging him for past misdemeanors but even so uh, he doesn't help himself by the way he talks about it um and then again yeah you know his first reaction to some of her uh, not even indiscretions or, or anything that she's done is that he kind of alleges that she's been unfaithful a couple of times and certainly kind of has done stuff to other people during their courtship yes yes he kind of throws that at her even though we don't know if that's the case or not but certainly there's a, there's an insecurity there between the two of them oh definitely definitely i mean you can see why celine might feel a bit on edge about jesse when you when you think about what you've seen over the course of the three movies because I think with Before Sunset, if you think about how that film goes, considering that he's the one that's married, I think that from the get-go of that movie, he looks quite up for it. (laughs) 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 And he doesn't... She feels as if she's more conflicted about what she might think is the right thing to do than he does. I don't know, is that an unfair thing to say? No, I think... um... He, he, like you say, he, he does seem quite <laughs> open to any opportunity. Yeah, so you can see from her point of view now that she's sort of, um, you know, raising kids with him and stuff, and they're meant to be in this committed uh, partnership. That um, that you do think if he was on these numerous book tours and so on and so forth, that you wouldn't necessarily think, oh yeah, he's definitely going to be faithful to me if some beautiful girl throws herself at him. Yeah, I suppose if circumstances were the same as well, because if he was on a book tour when they hooked up, albeit the the circumstance was slightly different, but still it's like, okay. That's so right. That's Mm. so right. And also there's something about his appearance. I mean, one thing that I think kind of, maybe threads through the 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 story a little bit in this one is the way it sometimes feels as if it's kind of harking back to a lost kind of gen x era like they've got him in his neptune's records t-shirt at the (laughs) beginning and she is um using a iphone which has a cassette um you know uh holder and um and even that exchange with his kid at the beginning of the film, and he's sort of saying, you know, are you going to play video games the whole flight? You, will you crack open a book? Or, you know, will you keep practising the piano? And he's sort of really pushing these kind of things on him, you know, sort of trying to trying to persuade his son, obviously, kind of not to get too too addicted to technology and this, that, the other. So, um, and then later on, of course, we have the thing about uh, Celine. Sort of lamenting the fact that she doesn't play her songs anymore and this idea so that's a I think that's another thing that kind of goes through you you get the sense that there's maybe a maybe that thing that we talk so much about in so many of our episodes about modern technology kind of interrupting the natural rhythm 
of things. But then also you could read that kind of as Jesse sort of trying to keep hold of his youth. And, and when you're with a guy and you're getting older together and you kind of sense that the guy, a bit like in Moonstruck, for instance, the dad, where she sort of says to him, you know, you're just going to die like everyone else. There's no <laughs> way you can stop it. You do sometimes get that. I think that adds to your feeling of insecurity sometimes is that you think not only does this, you know, this this person might be attracted by a pretty girl, but also it will make them feel young if they sleep with someone who isn't me and who maybe is younger than I am. So, I mean, they, they make enough references to his age in there. Yeah. It's like, oh, he's, in, he's 41 now. He's having a, he must be having some kind of midlife crisis. Um, you know, they, it's so awful. The first time I saw this, which is when it came out, I was like, "Oh yeah, they are." I suppose they are getting a bit older now. This time, I was like, "Oh no, I'm older than him." <laughs> um, Sorry, I interrupted you. No, no, but um, <laughs> I, 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 there, there is that that there, and I think um, when they go for the dinner at the villa, yeah, you know, he's talking about his books with the author guy and the other fella. So he's off talking, you know, I call him pseudo-intellectual. And he all sits around, oh, yes, yes, well, that's a great idea for a book. And then Celine's in there making dinner. Yes. You know, proper what you'd expect from a kind of that Southern European, Mediterranean lifestyle. Yes. And, um, but one thing I noticed is when they had the dinner and the kids' table must have been somewhere else and... They had this kind of the other middle-aged guy and his wife were very romantic and speaking, obviously, wonderful English and all this stuff and everything. They were so much in love. And, and when Jesse and Celine talked, and it was mostly after the young couple turned up as well, and when they talked about like how they met and the old stuff and things that we've seen from the previous two films, it sounded like they were so devoid of romance yeah, because I know. it's eighteen years since they first met, nine years since they had that kind of reconnection, and the way they're talking, especially, is weird because we've seen it. I think if if you're talking to a couple like that, you kind of be oh well, okay, well maybe whatever, maybe they just didn't have that kind of spark or anything like that. But we've seen it, and it's just really interesting to see how that's been written by them as a kind of they've forgotten it or it just doesn't matter to them anymore because this is where they are now. Yes, that's that's interesting. The other the other couple, it's true, they seem sort of more at peace with one another, don't they? And um not the young not the young couple, I mean I mean the other one. And um But it's yeah, it's interesting. I, I know what you mean. They don't they're not they're not a bored couple, which I think is is the the sign maybe of the most sort of you know deterioration but you know because they really can still push each other's buttons. I think that's clear i mean they're cla- they're clashing more than the others are at the table, but on the other hand, you can sort of sense quite a lot of strength of feeling there, can't you? And they have the they have the exchange with her pretending to be the bimbo, <laughs> simpering fan of his, which is so funny because in that in that scene, it comes you know it's it's very funny, and you know just just comes across as her sort of teasing him about sort of you know his his kind of big ego and how he's a bit of a closet macho. But then it's funny, isn't it? Because then later on. 
you find out that she's actually sort of taking off someone that she seems to think that he may have actually slept with on a book tour. So it's all kind of much more later. You know, I mean, I, and I think that's so true as well, isn't it? Like the things that you might joke about when you're in a serious relationship that quite often turns out that there's a kind of, you know, there's a bit of a germ of truth to them or you're referencing something that actually does hurt you a bit. It's not, it's not always completely just about the thing that you're saying is a total joke. It's about something more serious. Yeah. There's always these kind of behind the barb, there's a bit of truth. Um, exactly exactly i mean I, I did find that funny because again she was almost insulting or taking a piss out of herself um because she was the one who went to his book tour yes. in paris <laughs> and even though she wasn't simpering in any way and uh, and she didn't come across like that but that must be a big power trip to know anyone who makes stuff you know authors musicians film stars and stuff you know to have what she calls a bimbo gushing oh my god i love you whatever mm. it must be a massive ego boost for said person yeah i mean i think exactly well i think that can kind of go across the board i think even when you're if you're dating like a lecturer or anything like that if you know what i mean there can be you can kind of be conscious of the fact that that people that there might be young younger people in their in their life that kind of regard them as a sort of beacon of wisdom and if you're and if you're having a domestic relationship with them that can sort of like be quite just I won't say annoying <laughs> <laughs> but the the idea of that kind of admiration you know it's like oh must wow. be terrible got such an amazing brain so uh... yes <laughs> so you're a writer <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sure. So you write like books? <laughs> I've written a few. Sure, sure. Yeah. Wow. I've never met a writer before. <laughs> no. You what? must be really smart. Well, you know, I can't even write my own name sometimes when I'm tired. That thing that you're saying about Celine and Jesse being the people around that table that seem maybe the most jaded, maybe it's because they are the ones that were originally the most idealistic. And so now when they're confronted with the reality of, of their life, they're the most disorientated by it on some level, whereas the rest of them around that table have kind of, you know, made a bit more peace with the idea of life and all of its ups and downs, and they're better at sort of seeing the positives in it especially sitting around a dinner table like that at dinner parties i suppose a lot of films have these dinner party scenes especially when there's couples yeah, apparently it was really, i think that was meant to be one of the hardest bits of the film to to shoot apparently dinner party scenes are really hard to do because you've got to kind of get everyone you know as if they're kind of doing it but if you think about the shots yeah anyway anyway I won't go there. well no but i i guess it, it would still be weird because you've got to get it kind of you need to get that sequencing right, and even in a film, yeah. even in a film like this, where the dinner party scene wasn't one of the kind of long one take shots, which we've had over these three films. I think even yeah. the opening, I think, lasted fifteen minutes or so in one yeah. in one shot, um, give or take. But even so, I mean, having to to have that kind of the balance right, and you know when when it turns out that Jesse and Selena have been gifted a, a night in a hotel room and a couple's massage. Um, yes. You know, they, they initially tried to get out of it before mortally offending the, the gifters. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, you know, I guess that the idea of being alone for that long <laughs> mortified them, and we saw why. Yeah, completely, completely. No, well, you can sort of see that Celine and her instincts about that are, are, are kind of right. I mean, one thing that I think is so interesting about the film is the way when they're brought out into the natural world and you have them doing that really beautiful walk from the dinner to the hotel, that's when they're most harmonious, aren't they? And it feels most like them, uh, the, the version of them that we've seen in the previous films. And so I think there is a kind of implication that the two of them work best when you take them out of a domestic setting and you put them in, you know, fresh air with, with the, beautiful natural you know world around them and then they, and they can move through it together and that's them at their best but then you put them in something that's so uh kind of calculatedly meant to be romantic like this very you know luxurious but very modern hotel room and that's when everything implodes <laughs> i know you're not going to change and i don't want you to it's called accepting you for being you because i mean one of the things i wrote down was Everything's bloody passive aggressive in this film. <laughs> There's there are huge amounts of it, and I think when I mean she's the one that says it about him later on. But I mean, yes, he he is far more passive aggressive than she is. But there is a lot in there where it is all these digs in the way that it's like I moved to Paris, I left my son behind, I'm doing a shit job. Like, yes, well, yes, his, yes. his lecture or teaching job anyway, not not the, the authoring. And then there's a lot of the other bits around, like the, the sharing of domestic duties. Yes. And it's like, well, I do this and I do that. And there isn't that give or take. And, you know, if you're keeping score, then something's wrong. But th- there is a lot of, look how much I've sacrificed. You must like, you know... I must love you because I've done all this for you. Yes. Um, and that, that is laid on quite heavy at times. <sighs> no, no wonder she snapped. I suppose Celine expresses herself in a bigger way. It's often more of an overtly angry way. And it is much more straightforwardly reproachful. So I think that maybe when you first watch the way this movie goes, you sort of think that she actually is the one with the most beef with him. Hmm. But then when you watch it again, you realise actually that I, I think that it's quite uh, quite balanced in terms of the amount of um, beef that the two of them have with each other. It's just that Jesse expresses his in a much quieter way. But And I think that sometimes when people do that, that can be actually kind of more unnerving for the other person because there's something on some level that's reassuring sometimes about anger isn't that because you sort of think, oh, well, the person at least still sort of feels strongly about the situation. <laughs> I mean, I'm not enjoying necessarily being on the receiving end of the anger, but at least there's feeling there. Mm-hmm. Whereas there's something about Jesse where at the end of the whole thing, I still, I still, I, I feel kind of as if there's quite a lot of enigma actually about how he feels about um, the last 10 years of his life. Yeah. And because this was the first time I'd seen the film, yeah. And I wonder if I went back again. Yeah. It's kind of weird because, again, this is the conclusion of a trilogy. Well, one expects. I think they've left it a bit late if they're doing another one in nine years because that would be now. Um, yeah. But, you know, when you watch the second one, yeah, the way it's left, the way that it was kind of building up to that finale, 
it's kind of there and you see it live but now it's like the way this kind of revelation at the end and the way that it all blows up and and then how they attempt to resolve it towards the end but it's still a really strange way to kind of look at it because you see now there is this bitterness between most of it from him and a little bit from her towards him as oh, well. Oh, yeah, her as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah you know, She judges him for not knowing the name of the kids' doctors and things like that and, yeah. you know, possibly shagging someone else. We, do we ever get a straight answer for that? I can't remember. I don't think we... He kind of was so... <laughs> So he's so evasive around. He immediately went. I think he has. Oh I yeah. Think he has. I mean, it's very likely because the way he was avoiding, and she said, "Did you?" And he's like, "But I love you. I love you." <laughs> Just- well, she says. She says, which I think is isn't a good thing to. I mean, that's the thing. I'm not. I'm not in any way saying that she doesn't um, land some low blood because she says, "Swear on our kids that you didn't fuck that girl." And I think you know, there's something about. The, the way she phrases that that's so loaded and and kind of you know below the belt and um and so it's not it's not as if he's kind of obliged to answer that in the way that she wants him to but there's something as you say that's so evasive about it that i think i think that he has yeah yeah well this jury has concluded that he did <laughs> um but the weird thing is and and i guess when you look at a couple in that state or whatever and and they're kind of knuckling down to some physical love and then the phone rings and that kind of takes them out of that zone. Yes, which I think is so significant, isn't it? Because that's a sexy scene, actually. Until the phone rings, they look like they're really into each other and he has the line about, you know, it's been ages since I her do you think and that you know that that there's it's actually it's quite hot between them i'd say I, I, like I, I don't think that they're leading you to believe that there isn't any sexual spark between these two people anymore and that there is a comment isn't there earlier on that we've already touched on where she says i'm getting a lot of attention so we know that they have been having sex yeah um but then once after you know once it's established that the clothes have gone back on and she puts her underwear on quite pointedly at one point um and the modern technology interrupting and ruining oh, no. everything as we're always pointing out i mean if this had been made now he could have quickly just got his apple watch quickly nudged it to do not disturb and they would have <laughs> you know they wouldn't have had to worry it would have just been oh, no, a nice I night know. in a probably a higher budget hotel chain and, and so on but no he didn't turn his phone off and ah oh, i know idiot i know yeah <laughs> the way the way she go I think that there's something amazing about the way she goes and answers the phone with her dress half off and the way she stands when she's talking on the phone I think that that there's something about those kind of little details in the way it's directed that really puts their finger on kind of long, long-term relationships aren't there because she's so unselfconscious about how her body looks in front of him and I think that's really yeah, it's just really true about how people are with each other, and also the way he grabs her earlier on when they're in the when they're on that walk. It's you know we were talking in our um, episode about it happened one night about how you can really put across so much, can't you? In how men and women kind of touch each other when they're just horsing around um, to kind of convey 
the intimacy between them and I think it's very convincing between these two in this one isn't it yeah although I mean from from a logistics point of view I I I, I slightly judge them for not apparently taking a change of clothes is there not any in a do they not have it yeah they don't she really only has have a, a bag, she has a small they? I think a handbag yeah and I mean he goes I mean he doesn't look exactly the most finely turned out gentleman ever um <laughs> You're so right. They don't, do they? That, hmm, that saw, must, I wonder whether that was just a choice so that they weren't kind of cluttered as they walk, did that beautiful walk. Yeah, because you want to see them pulling some sort of roller suitcase or carrying a, <laughs> an, an old sports bag or something around the lovely old streets of Greece. Oh. Yeah, that really would have ruined the vibe. Yeah, because it's like, oh, I like- well, have I packed a right, change of boxes, change of socks, um, <laughs> got my toothbrush... Mm-hmm. I mean, you'd only have a toothbrush. But then it's probably a nice hotel they probably provided them. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. I mean, I think that that bit where they're checking in and Celine's resistant to signing the books and he just says to them, yeah, she will sign them. I think all of that is really... It's just so interesting, this idea of them being in a couple where he kind of has the status as this successful writer, but she's the muse. So he wouldn't be able to have had his status if it wasn't for her. And, you know, they even have the the writer, don't they, in the guest house saying, oh, I've never met a writer before whose partner was more interesting than they are. So there's, I think that that's a really fascinating thing about the two of them, isn't it? Where... Yeah, you you, ha- you always, you always, or you, at least you very often have a thing where there's a bit of a status imbalance and that can cause a bit of tension. But it's like, yeah, but you couldn't have done it without her. It's kind of like that back to the future thing. Like, if he hadn't gone back in time, yeah, then all these things wouldn't have changed and, and happened anyway and all that. But like, if they hadn't met, he wouldn't have written the book that made him famous. And then... If they hadn't got together again, he wouldn't have written another book that probably did quite well and and all that. So it's very, yeah, a bit like a yeah. kind of butterfly effect kind of thing, them, them meeting. Totally. There's also, I just find it so interesting after that last film, how there's, there's in this one, they're kind of chucking the ball to each other about who should actually take responsibility for the decision that was made at the end of the last film. Like when she's talking about his ex-wife, she says... Um, yeah, okay, I understand that she's upset with me. I fucked her husband a long time ago. Or should I say, he fucked me? And Jesse says, yeah, right. <laughs> and you think, like, wow, at this point, now they're arguing over who, who actually made that decision at the end of the last film. And I think that's really... I mean, don't you think that is quite realistic? Like, if if someone makes... Or if some people make a decision that's going to be quite big, then if it affects people and there is a sort of like moral aspect to it, that it's quite realistic, then like years down the line, they're going to start saying, actually, you were the one that came on to me. It wasn't me. I was sort of like putty in your hands. Yeah. You know, I kissed you first. Yeah, you? exactly. <laughs> well, yeah, because that, that, that then becomes like a weaponized thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm amazed she she used the c word. I mean, I got told off for using that in a recent episode, but like, um, I didn't get told off, but I told myself off. Um, yeah, she's very strong. She yeah. she w- words things very strongly about his ex wife. Yeah. Um, yeah. And again, you know, these people are rivals, and in in a, in a way, but um, yeah, and and that kind of thing where there is this animosity. This isn't one of those films where everyone's like, oh, let's holiday together. You know the the ex-wife's now got a new husband and they go off, you know, that could be the next film. Yeah. You know, they hate each other. 
and they've been through court. They've moved cities. They Jesse and Celine have moved to France, or she, he's moved to France, and yeah. all this stuff has happened. This hasn't been a cozy scenario. This hasn't been, and I don't want to use the word grown up because this is, these are grown ups and these are people making decisions. But this is what happens. You know, a lot of the time they are acrimonious. They do hate each other. They do. They won't speak to each other, or if it's done, it's through a lawyer, or fuck me, worse, through the child. Yeah. Um, that kind of stuff. And, you know, no people like that. It's really awkward. Yes, yeah. I mean, do you think, you know, like that thing of saying good luck with your mum and Jesse saying when he when you say bad things about his mum, he hears, he hears bad things about himself. I mean, do you, do you think that Celine is dealing with things well when it comes to her relationship with his kid? Um, I mean, it sounds like they get on really well. Yeah. Um, I mean, she says I love you, I think, at the end of the phone call. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, I mean, that's probably a lot better. It certainly does away with the whole wicked stepmother kind of thing yeah you know and it must be hard then for the kid to have to go back and if you know if he speaks to his mum she's how's that hot <laughs> you know and he's like oh yeah she was really kind I mean you know, she said she <laughs> said she loves me you know like, oh, <laughs> um you know that I mean that's awkward how do you win are you an arsehole to the kid to, to make his mum feel better or you nice to the kid because that's the right thing to do you know the kid's not to blame I mean it, it wasn't his fault no without knowing the exact context of the behaviours and stuff it's difficult because she's trying to you know Celine's trying to be a good person around it but yeah. ultimately she's still a person who has to balance her own emotions around this child that isn't hers and how does she balance that up with her own kid? Because in reality, you don't see an awful lot of their kids. What do you think that Jesse's sort of centering his son over his daughters? Because that, because mm. I mean, I understand that he that his son is the one that he's um, not spending time with in the same country. But I don't know. Sometimes it starts to feel as if he's he is kind of obsessing more about the relationship that he has with his son. I wonder if there's something there, you know, as a theme throughout certainly the second to uh, the second film in this one where it's he ca- he wants what he can't have yes um, yes yes you know where it's like in in the second film celine and then in this one it's his son because you know his daughters are there they're always there and i mean they really don't interact at all yeah um i mean again that's the way the film is it's not a family film but but still you know i suppose if the kid was there and maybe he has seen how bitter the mum is, but then the mum's probably bitter because he went off with an other woman. <laughs> totally, totally. I mean, one thing that I think that it puts across really strongly is how, you know, like no matter no matter how much you um, love your partner or, or have had a beautiful love story with them or maybe a very complicated one, once there are kids in the equation you also would be kind of having sort of intense amounts of love for them as well. And that can sort of cut across the the kind of, you know, the narrative that you might have with your partner. So it's, you know, like the moment when Henry rings on the phone and they get interrupted by him. It's that, it's that thing, isn't it? Where it's like, it's no longer the narrative of the first two movies where it's these people that can kind of 
you know, just maybe surrendered themselves to each other only. Like when you put all of this other love into the equation, everything gets much more tangled, doesn't it? Yeah. And I mean, I, I haven't seen that film because as it transpires, I haven't seen many films, but I haven't seen that film Marriage Story with yes. Scarlett Johansson and, and Adam Driver. And yeah. I get the feeling that there's probably some parallels with this film. Oh, definitely. I think it's, this is very influential on that one. Yeah. Think, yeah. Um, and while they're, they're aiming in a slightly different market and everything, I think this one is, is weird. You know, when when you feel that the second movie in particular, for me, maybe it's just an age thing or something, I don't know, but that one really grabbed me, um, especially the ending, because he was in this kind of quandary and he kind of had maimed his mind up living with that choice and having to deal with that and again you know maybe there's a pride thing it's like again this probably sounds a bit passive aggressive but you know it's like he's had to make that decision about moving to Paris leaving his wife and kid and he's kind of like I've got to stick with this but uh, you know it's like you know but the weird thing I didn't realise until a bit further into the film that they they hadn't married Um, Yeah. yeah and I don't know if that was you know what the kind of thinking behind that specifically was you know was it a deliberate thing to have them not married and they're still just a couple but not married you know does that make things different easier worse however when it comes to to making that decision because again you know he has form for walking out on kids what's to you know especially now he's not married um, yes. You know, what, yeah. at what point does that inform his decision making? Well, do you think that he's more keen on the idea of marriage than she is? I think maybe that could be the case. I mean, just as as an institution, I mean. Possibly. I mean, he's already done it. <laughs> um, yeah. And I guess it's not really talked about that much, but I don't know. I don't really want to read too much into things that aren't there. I mean, you know, whether it's a you know a lifestyle choice a security thing you know the fact that they've got kids would that be enough i don't know um but um but i mean ultimately you know she when they have the fight in the hotel room you know there's the the fact that they're intimate enough for him to go to the toilet virtually in front of her i suppose they've been together nine years um yeah you know and all that kind of stuff but and you know the the filling of the kettle and all these kind of symbolic things, you know, tea, undrunk tea, oh, crime. But, um, <laughs> but you know, she leaves on the ultimate barb. You know, after going and coming back, I think twice, and then coming, you know, making the point of leaving the key card and saying, "I, I don't love you anymore." Yeah. Whatever it was, you know, it's like, fuck, have that. Yeah, completely, completely. I mean, as a as an argument. Do you think that it rings true? What, I don't love you or just in general? <laughs> the whole argument, I mean. I mean, the, the the fight. Yeah, I guess I think there's probably a lot of elements where it's all just kind of been bubbling under and needs something to come out. It's difficult because you're watching it and you kind of see a lot of Jesse's points, except it's like you agree with the why, just not the how. You know, the way he's raising it in that kind of tone a lot of the time, it's kind of like, oh, come yeah. on. You were, on, yeah. you, were, you were probably winning at this point and then he said something else or he said, he's like, oh, you dickhead. Um, I think that's so true. I yeah. think that's so true, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and she comes out of it quite well, I guess. But again, you know, sometimes some people just can't help but have the last word 
or they say the wrong thing when they're ahead and it kind of sounds like ahead like it's a game but um but ultimately i think there there are elements there where you agree with him and then he adds something else in it's like oh fuck well also he takes her down to like because she does she expresses herself in a in a, in a more uh, aggressive way you know like she has that incredible line about saying the only time i have any time to myself or time to think <laughs> now is when i'm taking a shit at work so i've started to associate thoughts with the smell of shit and you know she has she has these lines that are so incredibly sort of ang- angry and venomous and um explosive and then he very often in a very properly sort of funny way doesn't he sort of takes it out easy you know he said i'm gonna tune up the string section or you know and all, all of all of these things but while you know you can find his barbs funny you're also thinking wow you know you're such a dick for kind of you know when she's trying when she's trying to get something out of her system and you can see that she is quite exhausted i think by um by sort of the the thing that she finds herself dealing with in life. And, you know, she has that very kind of emotional bit, doesn't she, where she's talking about how she was dealing with um, having the kids at the beginning of their lives while he was away and she felt so full of shame because she didn't really know how to do it. And you can see, like, you know, if you get together with someone who's already had a child, you'll be thinking, or you might think to yourself, am I dealing with it in the right way? He's not around. I'm feeling kind of a bit, you know, did did his ex-wife maybe deal with being a mother better than I'm dealing with being a mother? You know, all of those kind of insecurities so she kind of airs quite a lot of sort of vulnerable things doesn't she so sometimes when he's sort of making a joke at her expense you you sort of think oh that's quite funny but also a bit of a dick move yeah and especially the time where she essentially insults his performance in bed and uh oh yes very below the belt that's a low blow (laughs) yes But we've already seen that, though, as well. We've seen the start of their intimacy, shall we say, and it's exactly how she described it. It is. It is. I mean, that's another thing where you think of that. I mean, the two things can be simultaneously right. They can they can be a couple who are still having sex and both actually, you know, enjoying it. But at the same time, the routine may have got a bit, uh, you know, maybe a bit too sort of tried and tested. I think it was such a brave thing of them to do to revisit this story a third time and to give you this. Because as you say, I mean, I agree. I think that if you want to watch a film that feels very romantic, but is, you know, intelligent and has sort of dark elements as well as very funny bits, the second one might be in some ways the best you know, the, the the best thing that you could put on from this trilogy in terms of giving you a little bit of light and shade and kind of, you know, giving you that sort of feeling of two people that have come across reality but also still have romance coursing through their veins. But um, this one, there's something about this final act in this one where you think, oh my God, I can't believe that they're, I can't believe that they're going there. I can't believe that they're going to actually have them have a row that will be so so accurate in terms of how many couples out there will have different versions of this argument and you're kind of reducing this couple to just being kind of like the rest of us really yeah and it's in, you know. especially as well where the where it ends you know she walks out of the hotel room um and he finds her and and he, he's i mean clear i mean it must be difficult for him to kind of then have to right do I walk away? Do I try and win a round? Um, 
and then goes back to the old time traveler routine from the first film so there's that huge <laughs> callback all the way back to there and you see her kind of reluctantly very slowly kind of okay i'll go along with this <laughs> you know the whole letter from her was it 82 year old self or whatever it was yes um and he's like it works it's what <laughs> And it's incredible, really, because they they managed to do it so effortlessly, but they actually managed to get that because the the bit where they're in the hotel room sort of is, you know, it's incredibly emotional and it's quite upsetting. But at the same time, there are sort of bits of it that are funny. But then you get to the point with her saying, I don't think I love you anymore. And as you say, that's such a sort of powerful statement. And you think, oh, my God, you know, how can you come back from there? And then when they go out there, the fact that they managed to, sort of slowly but surely sort of steer it back in the direction of humour again and having him sort of get her, kind of coax her out of herself, very similarly to the moment where he coaxes her off the train at the beginning of the first film, where you think, wow, they've managed to... they managed to do that, and I think that that's quite... I mean, I don't know what you think, but I think that maybe when, when people have got a lot of shared life together and a lot of, you know, there might be a lot of love there, but there also might be a lot of resentment and there might be just a lot of just accumulated exhaustion from running your life together. Sometimes people can say things in arguments, can't they? That they don't necessarily, they might kind of mean it in the moment, but they don't necessarily want it to kind of overshadow everything. And that I guess sort of part of being in a relationship sometimes is, is you're not going to hold a, hold a statement against someone forever i don't know if you're particularly petty you might <laughs> you might you might do if you're particularly petty but i suppose that's part of because i think in that moment when i was i can remember sort of seeing it for the first time thinking actually there is something and maybe it's because i can as, as you know i can i can bang on about sort of the way i feel about things for ages and there's something about the way jesse sort of sort of is able to push past her saying something as powerful as that mm that felt that does feel quite romantic to me it's like i'm not gonna i'm not gonna hold everything that you say when you're really hurting kind of over you forever yeah what do you think it's difficult i suppose if you hear those words whether it's an argument or not you just automatically process it as it as you hear it sometimes it's yeah. hard to establish you know or put yourself in that position and have that empathy to kind of go or maybe would you tell me go oh she's just emotional Sounds even yeah, worse. so you mean it depends on how confident you are inwardly as to whether or not the person actually means it. Or yeah, not. But, yeah, I see what you mean. But yeah. then he's obviously okay. confident enough to turn around and give her the old time traveller shit. <laughs> you know, he's rocked up in his DeLorean, and and she, well, also I like the way Jesse, Jesse's sort of big card that he keeps playing to Selena. So I was like, no one else would put up with your shit. <laughs> you are nothing. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I I think that this last act of this film is just, I think it's just really incredible. I, I think it's amazingly well-written and so well-performed. And I, the reason for that is I think that they managed to do something, which is that they they show you this couple, because I can remember rushing to the cinema to, to see this one. I was so invested in what was going to happen next. It's just like, oh, you know, just couldn't wait to find out what was going to happen with these two and then that's the thing I sort of realized that my own kind of you know kind of romantic notions about what a love story is was kind of being 
sort of broken down before my eyes and it was just like oh god they're just a, they're they're a couple like like any other couple and you know they they're having an argument and there would be bits of the argument that will remind me of arguments I might have had with partners and the, you know and all, and all of that stuff but at the end of it i think they they sometimes they somehow leave you with a feeling of like all you still want what they have i think hmm. but at the same time you also appreciate how difficult it is to have a long-term relationship with someone that you're really emotionally invested in because it's so it's such a vulnerable place to be you don't know whether they're going to leave you you know if you're if you're having a family with them you're going to have like different thoughts about how to do that also just domestic life with people can be really exhausting for all kinds of reasons can't it and um so yeah so that's the thing i think they just do they walk a really fine line between showing you how tough it is but at the same time i think you still believe in the love story and still believe that the two of them have all kinds of things that they want to share with each other and that they're both really i think they're both interested in one another still on some level like that that chat that they have walking to the hotel i think i think you know if you were with someone for a decade and you were still having talks like that with each other when you're left on your own i think you're doing well don't you yeah and you're not just sort of planning who's dropping which kid off at school or what you're doing for dinner the next night but you're actually having something either you you can have that light and airy chalk or something deep and meaningful but without it being sort of bogged down yeah yeah and they're still flirting with each other. Yeah. You can sort of see that they still fancy each other, and that's quite a big yeah. part of it, isn't it, as we as we can't often touch on in yeah. these episodes. Even if he does look scruffy. But he's Ethan Hawke, he's the Gen X icon, so oh, okay. he kind of has to look scruffy. True. That's part of it, isn't it? Yeah, he's no Don Draper. Him and Winona Ryder. <laughs> yeah. um, no, no Don Draper, that is that is very true. <laughs> um, so, so we think that they... If they're not going to do another one, do we think that they live happily ever after or unhappily ever after? I, I think more the latter. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure this isn't a one-off argument that, that they have. And I think we'll just have to kind of live in the position where we have to hope that they uh, they get together, they stay together and learn to speak better. But, you know, for, for, for everyone's sanity, that I think they... Uh, they at least talk a little bit more about their feelings and their issues rather than just saving them up. Don't bottle it all up. Yes, yes, yes I think that that's that's definitely a good idea. Some moral there. Go for, for more all of walks us. together. Yeah. yeah, yeah. When he goes for his long walk, he should try and take her with him if if he can. Maybe that's the answer. Maybe. Yeah, you should get like a national yeah. trust membership or something like that. Yes. <laughs> yeah, completely. It's <laughs> a good idea. Well, as we watch the sun sink behind the hills and struggle to fill the hotel room kettle, we leave you with the question, who could you put up with for 74 years? I've been Rich. I've been Kat. And this has been Don't You Want Me? <laughs> <laughs>